Welcome to New Catholic Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Daryl Finkstein. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to come to the close of our series that we've been doing on uh, Luke 15 called Lost and Found. And uh, I started the series six weeks ago. And, uh, and I asked you, a, asked you a question, how do you think God feels about our world? How does he feel about sinners? How does he feel about us? And we looked at John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The most profound word in this verse is the smallest, and it's the word so. He loved so much. God didn't just love the world, he loved it so much. That's how he feels about the world, about the sinners, and about us. And so we've been looking at Luke 15 over the last few weeks, one chapter, where Jesus is confronted and accused of receiving sinners, of eating with them, which would have de- demonstrated to people around him a relationship and acceptance. And so Jesus answers them with a parable that contains three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. But in reality, the stories are the stories not about any of these. The real story is about a father in heaven who loves with an unprovoked love so much. Jesus is telling all who would listen, you've missed the father's heart. You're the one that's lost it. And your hope is not in your search for God, but in the Father's search for you. He wants you to know Him and to be at home in His love. And so Jesus tells the stories, and yet the one word that this story is all about is not used in the stories. The word love. It's not found in Luke 15. And yet, it's displayed And the best display of the father's heart is in the story of the two sons. And I want us to close this morning uh, the series with just reading it again. And found in verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. Then Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let's eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things mean. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you've never... You never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who was devoured, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found." Let's pray together. Father, right now, I pray for a revelation of the Father's heart. I pray that you would let us see you as you are, as we need to see you, as you want to reveal yourself. Father, I pray that we would see what we've not seen, that we would hear what we've never heard before, that we would feel and understand in our heart the things that you want us to understand, and that, Father, today you would reveal your heart to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to tell you, God continually unfolds this whole thing about lost and found, this series. The tagline is recovering the Father's heart. And I want us to close this morning of the series with just that, to recover how the Father really is. And I want you to look at verse 31 again, where the father says to his son, Son, you're always with me. And look at that last part. All I, that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. My question that, that the Lord, the Holy Spirit really brought to me, well, what did he have? And immediately, isn't it amazing? Our minds go to property. Our minds go to inheritance. That the father, he had houses, he had land, he had, he had possessions, he had valuables. And that's amazing to me that when we think about what God has, we think of stuff. When he said this to the son, the son already had the stuff. And the father says, all I have is yours. Well, it makes me question, what does he have? What does he have? The thing that he had was what the, both sons had missed. He had a heart for his sons that nothing could change. Both boys missed it. And so do we. It's amazing to me how often when, we are, when we're asking God for his help, we're really asking him for his stuff. We're asking him for the things he can provide, for the things he can do. We're asking him for what he can do, what he has, those things that he can provide. And we're missing the reality that we can miss him while enjoying all of his stuff. That's what I want to talk to you this morning about. You see, the younger son, 
this, the, both the sons, they were keeping accounts. It was all about the stuff. The younger son thought the father was holding back. He could never be himself until he got away from the house, got away from the father, got away from his second place existence. And if he could just get his own stuff, he would show the world what he could be. And so he got his stuff. And he went out into the world. And he spent it. Anybody identify with that? He spent it. You know, money talks. It says bye. He spent it all. And here's what, here's what his life amounted to without the father, without the house, without the place. He amounted to be in competition with pigs for the pods. The elder son, he wasn't much different. You see, he thought the father expected duty. He expected performance. He expected that uh, he would be a perfection, a perfection. The father was per- uh, expecting a perfection. So he was going to get the stuff by his faithfulness, by his work ethic, by proving himself worthy. But in reality, he's only biding his time until he was in charge of it all. And then he would show the world what he could do. Both sons were living in the house, but neither was at home in what the father had. His love. And I thought, what a picture of humanity. When God created Adam and Eve, He created us from His love, for His love. And humans rejected God's love in favor of what was perceived to be freedom. And the result, of course, was disastrous. Liberty became bondage. Intimacy became alienation. Genuine love was reduced to self-love. And the result was self-centeredness. Since then... We've all been born into a life where love has been spoiled. The love we receive in this world is always limited by human brokenness and failure. And even the love we give to others is always contaminated by our own self-preoccupation. We long for perfect love but end up with imperfect and incomplete love. Probably because, like the country and western songs, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. We keep looking for it in the stuff. In the stuff of life, rather than in the presence and the heart of the Father. I used a term a while ago that the Father has an unprovoked love. And I use that term because that word means something different for me than just unconditional. You know, when I think of unconditional, I think of, well, there's just not any condition to His love. But when I think of unprovoked, you think of... Our terminology is usually used with violence, unprovoked violence. What that means is that the violence wasn't because of the victims. The violence was in the heart of the one who was the perpetrator. It was unprovoked. Well, what I'm discovering is the love that the Father has for us is unprovoked. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the heart of the Father. He doesn't love us for us. He loves us because He's love. In other words, here's what I'm trying to say. He loves you in spite of us. He loves us because He is love. You see, unprovoked love is unearned, yes, but it's also unexpected. You see, love, it's love that we don't see coming and we don't have coming. It's unannounced, it's unmerited. It just comes to you. The explanation for this kind of love is not in the object 
of the love, not in the one that's loved, but in the one who's doing the loving. You see, read the story. When the younger son came to himself, he worked out his speech of repentance and a religious plan for his restoration. Make me like one of your hired servants. He came back to find a father who was looking for him, who came running, who covered him with kisses and planned a party. I don't think that's what he was expecting. The reason wasn't in the value of his son. The reason for the father doing it wasn't in the value of the son. It wasn't in the repentance. The message translation says the father wasn't even listening. His reason was in himself. It was entirely in the heart of the father. It wasn't because what the son had to offer. It was not just without condition and couldn't be earned. It was unexpected, unannounced, and unprovoked. It just came with kisses and a party. The whole thing was in the father's heart. He loved his son. His reason was within his own nature. It was who he is. The thing I think sometimes we think is we think the father loves us if. We think he loves us when. We think he loves us sometimes. Let me tell you, it's not if, not when, not sometimes, but not anything because of anything in you. It's because of who He is. Connie read at the beginning of the service. He is love. The second thing about the Father's love is it's incredibly stubborn. I've discovered something about God. He doesn't quit. Even when you want Him to quit, He doesn't quit. Growing up, I was the little brother. My older brother learned something a lot. He said, quit. He just constantly was saying, quit, because I was nagging him and I was bugging him. Quit. And I've discovered something about God's love for me. He doesn't quit. It's stubborn. You see, here you sit in the elder brother. The elder brother won't come in. He won't acknowledge the father. He won't forgive his younger brother. He just, he just won't. He just won't. Have you ever met people who just won't? They just won't. Doesn't matter what you explain. Doesn't matter how much you want. They just won't. Let me tell you. Here's the thing I want you to see. The Father's love goes out to Him. He's The Father gets up from the party that He's thrown celebrating what's going on. And He goes out to the elder brother. It's loving even in the face of resistance. Even in the face of behavior where another emotion might be expected. The Father will love in the face of rebellion, in the face of rejection, in the face of sheer badness. And it's an amazing form of love that's made from a decision. The Father made a decision and that decision is final. He's going to love you. It's set on the basis of the nature of the one making the decision. Whether it's met with love in, in return, a good behavior, or not, it continues to pursue in love. The Father is not, here's what I've often thought. I thought, I thought what Jesus was telling the story, he was just going to stick the Pharisees, you know, in where it really gets you and twist. You know, you're the ones, you're the ones, and you, he tells the father to go out and rebuke the elder brother. He's not rebuking the elder brother. He's inviting the elder brother back into the house. You see, the father, he's not loving the younger son more than he's loving the older son. He's loving both sons. He's the same. 
He's the one constant that's not changing. He didn't love it when the son left, but he loved the son because he was the father. He didn't love it when the elder son wouldn't come in, but he loved the son because he was the father. The love for both was the same. Because it was his love. It was without provocation of either. The badness or the... You see, the younger one from rebellion messed up. The older one from his own behavior, perfection, and performance missed the father. The father's not rebuking him. He's inviting him back in the house. You see, most Christians I know live with a daisy-pedal Christianity. Now, I didn't have daisies at my house in the panhandle of Texas. We had sunflowers. And I don't mean the big sunflowers you get to see. I mean those little, they were just everywhere. Sunflowers. Did y'all ever pick a sunflower or a daisy and play that game? She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. Until you go around in the last one, and if it turns out wrong, you pick another flower. Right? You know, I've discovered something about most of us in the way we live our Christian life in relationship with the Father who loves us without limit and without provocation. I've discovered something. You see, when things are going good, He loves me. When things are not going my way, He loves me not. I read my Bible today. He loves me. I didn't pray enough about that. He doesn't love me. I gave, I gave of my money to somebody who was really in need. He loves me. Anger got the best of me and I popped off and said what I shouldn't say. He loves me not. Listen to me. Just as a sunflower can't tell you your romantic future, neither can playing that game with God tell you about how he feels about you. Because his relationship with you doesn't depend on your performance. It depends on his decision. He loves you. He loves you. He doesn't love you if. He doesn't love you when. He doesn't love you though. He loves you. Graham Cook, a prophetic voice from England, has been very influential in changing the way I viewed the Father. I'm in awe of his awareness of the Father's love. He has a video out on YouTube. It's called uh, Inheritance. Inheritance. You can see it on YouTube. In it, Graham is heard saying, There's nothing that you can do to cause the Father to love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because that's what he's like. It's his nature to love. And you'll always be the beloved. His love is unchanging. He loves you 100%. He won't love you any better when you become better. And he loves you 100% right now. And even if you have no plans to become better, he will still love you 100% because that's the way he is. And even if you don't want to change, he'll love you 100% because that's his nature. He loves all the way, all the time. So the Lord says, I love you just the way you are right now, this moment, so be loved. It's your job, says the Lord, to be loved outrageously. That's why I chose you. That's why I set my love on you, that you would live as one who is outrageously loved. I will love you like that all the days of your life. The Father loves you. But you must allow that. You say, well, I can't keep him from it. No, you can't keep him from it, but you can keep from enjoying it. You must receive it. His love's not up from question. 
Because that's who he is. You're allowing him, you're receiving that love is what's up for question. You see, when you really start to look at which of these sons found out he was loved? Both sons missed it. Which of the sons do you think found out he was loved? I think the younger one. The reason was that I think he found out is because he's sitting at the father's table, dressed in the best robe with a ring on his finger, new shoes on his feet, eating a medium rare ribeye. Did he understand all that the father had done? No. Could he explain it? No. But it didn't keep him from the party. It didn't keep him from the joy. It didn't keep him from the place of honor. Billy Graham just passed away a few weeks back. And I read something interesting How many of you remember Jim Baker? Jim Baker, PTL, went to prison for defrauding, spent five years in prison. He attended Billy Graham's funeral. And it was amazing when they interviewed him, he said why he was there. And, you know, he had been one that that other pastors and other uh, theologians, different ones, said that he was the cancer on Christianity and da-da-da-da. And uh, so they were asking Jim Baker why he attended Billy Graham's. He said, because when he was in the prison, he said he was in the bathroom. One of his jobs was cleaning the bathroom. And he says, when I was in a mess, in my mess, he said, there was a door that opened to the bathroom I was cleaning and in walked Billy Graham. Billy Graham stretched out his arms and said, Jim, I love you. He said he just wrapped his arms around him, gave him a hug. And I thought, wow. Jim Baker, the cancer on Christianity, was loved. And he wrote a book later, it's called I'm Wrong. And uh, I found something else that I thought was interesting. He says, and this is out of his book, I'm just going to read. He says, when I was transferred to my last prison, Franklin Graham said he wanted to help me out when I got out with a job, a house to live in, and a car. It was my fifth Christmas in prison. I thought it... I thought it over and I said, Franklin, you can't do this. It'll hurt you. The Grahams don't need my baggage. And he looked at me and he said, Jim, you were my friend in the past and you're my friend now. So when I got out of prison, the Grahams sponsored me and paid for a house for me to live in and gave me a car to drive. The first Sunday out, Ruth Graham called the halfway house I was living in and asked permission for me to go to church with her that Sunday morning. When I got there, the pastor welcomed me and sat me with the Graham family. There were like two whole rows of them. I think every Graham aunt and uncle and cousin was there. The organ began to play, and the place was full except for a seat next to me. The doors opened, and in walked Ruth Graham. And she walked down that aisle and sat next to inmate 07407-058. I'd only been out of prison 48 hours, but she told the world that morning that Jim Baker was her friend. That's love displayed. Meanwhile, the elder brother is outside. Now listen to me. Fully loved. Because that's how he is. I'm talking about the father. He wasn't loved less because he wasn't going in. The father came out to him. The same party was available to him. 
The trouble was his own view of things kept him from the fellowship with the father and the joy of the party. You see, the elder brother wanted justice. The father wanted love. There was no difference in the father's love for the younger or for the elder. The father's heart remained the same for both. The difference is is how it was received. Listen to me. One was experiencing the love even if he didn't understand it. Unexpected. Unprovoked. In fact, it should have been the opposite. And there he was, sitting, robed, ringed, shoes on his feet. An elder brother was outside measuring it. When's it going to be enough? If you ever really want to look at it, look at how many times he used I and my in verse 29. You see, from his perspective, it was all about him. One was experiencing love and the other was measuring it. Let me ask you a question. Are you receiving the Father's love? The question's not, are you loving the Father? The question is, in fact, let me just say this, you can't love Him until you receive His love for you. Well, doesn't the Bible say that Jesus had the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? Yes. But you do know that you're not even able to keep that until you realize that that's exactly how He loved you. That the Father loved you with all of His heart, with all of His soul, with all of His mind, and with all of His strength. Because He gave His own Son to you and for you. You see, we love Him because He first loved us. You're not first in the love game. He is. Everything you have is a response and a a reception or a rejection of His love. It's not about His stuff. It's about Him. Here's the good news. If you get Him... You get all he has. Most of us think that's about stuff. Let me tell you, the life he wants to give you through his son Jesus Christ is not just full and overflowing. It is satisfying in fullness of joy and everlasting life. He loves you. The question is, Do you receive it? He loves you with all that he has. With himself. Best illustration. Let me read this to you because it just is better when I read it rather than I tell it. Grandpa walked into the family room and found his little grandson Jeffrey standing up in the playpen crying. He looked so pitiful standing there in his little baseball t-shirt and diaper. His face was red and his cheeks were tear-stained from crying. And when Jeffrey saw his grandpa, his face lit up in a way that smote the old man's heart. He immediately reached up his chubby little hands in supplication and says, Out, Papa, out. What grandpa could resist such a plea? Not this one. He walked over to the playpen, reached down to lift his little buddy out of captivity and distress. Just then, however, law and order stepped into the room. Jeffrey's mother walked out of the kitchen with a dish towel in her hand and spoke sternly. No, Jeffrey, you're being punished. You have to stay in bed. Leave him right there, Dad. 
Now, what's a grandpa to do? His grandson's tears, reaching little hands, tugged mightily at his heart. But he didn't want to interfere with a mother's discipline either. He couldn't stand staying in the same room with the boy, pretending to be aloof. Nor could he turn around and walk out the door without feeling like he's betrayed his little pal. What could he do? Love found a way. Since Grandpa couldn't take Jeffrey out of the playpen, he climbed in with him. (laughs) If you're in the playpen, buddy, I'm in the playpen. And finding a big, jolly Grandpa suddenly filling his little prison cell, the little boy found comfort even in his captivity. The Father loves you with an unchanging, unconditional, unprovoked, perfect love. He loves sinners. He redeems failures. He delights in second chances and fresh starts. He never tires of pursuing lost sheep, waiting for wayward children, or rescuing those damaged by life and left on the sidelines of its path. He so loved us that He climbed into our place of captivity by sending His one and only begotten Son to share our place, to pay our debt, to buy our freedom, to conquer what had conquered us. What are you going to say to that? Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me put it in a Feimster paraphrase. How shall he not also give us all that he has? All that he is. My friend, what God wants you to experience more than anything else is him. And here's the thing, we, you can't know God's love from a distance. You can't know it by thinking, you can't know it by theology. You know it by encounter, you know it by experience. You know it because God has said and the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart and He's inviting you to step into a love that's unprovoked, full of glory, full of life, and all for you. He chose before the foundation of the world, to love you like that. And he hadn't changed that decision. Whosoever believes, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be the sons of God. This whole story is a recovery of the Father's heart He loves without hindrance. Will you receive without excuse? Just receive it. Well, I don't understand. You won't. Because you're not Him. But I I, I just like things to be logical. He's not. He's right. And He's inviting you. Well, I just want justice. No, you don't. Justice leaves you outside the house. Grace invites you in. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, gave Him up for us that we might have 
His life, eternal life. Have you received it? Have you received Him? See, don't make salvation something about the stuff. Salvation is entering relationship with Him. Being delivered from sin is so you can be made right with Him. God didn't send His Son so you could go to heaven. He sent your Son so you could have fellowship with the Father. Whosoever. He chose to love you. Will you receive it? Would you bow with me in prayer? There's a party going on in the kingdom. Father's excited about what he's doing. Prodigals are coming home. He wants you to be a part of it. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Because perfect love casts out fear. And when you receive this love, really experiencing, you are the one that's set free. Not only from sin, but to be yourself. The self God created and chose you to be and intended for you to be. You can love Him back without reservation and you can love others out of that same love because that love is going to be shed abroad in your heart. Receive His love. Find the Father's heart this morning. Find it. Find it for yourself. That's the way He really feels. Trust Him. Respond to Him. Slide your feet up under His table. Receive. As many as received, to them He gave the right, the authority to be sons of God. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that, Father, that You would Pull back the blinders and let us see your heart fully exposed in the sacrifice of your Son on the cross of Calvary, in the resurrection, and in the demonstration of your presence right now. Lord, the one who's moved, let them respond. The one who's questioning, be their answer. Lord, Get into our captivity and deliver us by your love. You're for us. Ain't nobody can be against us because you are the one who justifies. We trust you and we rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.